You guys know I'm always talking about tracking my money. You can't manage what you don't measure. And I use a paid app to do that because I'm kind of crazy. But when I talk to you guys, my readers and my listeners, you want a free solution. You want something that links to your personal accounts and tracks your net worth. You want something that has analysis tools and a personalized plan for you. And you want real wealth management advice. The free answer is personal capital. Personal capital is an awesome tool, and it is hard to believe that it's free. And the world agrees. Year after year, personal capital is recognized as a best-in-class budgeting and tracking tool. And that's why I feel good about being affiliated with them. So if you want to start getting your finances in order, and you want to do it for free, start with personal capital. Here's how. Go to the show notes, click on that link, and let them know that the best interest sent you, and start your free account today. That's personal capital, your all-in-one free personal finance tool. Welcome to the Best Interest Podcast, hosted by Jesse Kramer, where we discuss today's best ideas in personal finance and investing. The Best Interest is a personal podcast meant for entertainment purposes only. It should not be taken as financial advice and is not prescriptive of your financial situation. Here's your host, Jesse Kramer. Hey guys, welcome to episode 33 of the Best Interest Podcast. My name is Jesse Kramer. My guest today is a fella named Jared, better known though by his social media handle, Money J-Rod. And I'll tell you, J-Rod has a story that I think 98% of you are going to relate to. That story is being young, being in debt, and being unsure of the best way out. I think most of us were there at one point in our lives. Well, Jared found a good way out, and it's a simple way out. And I love that he shares those simple, effective tactics with his audience. But real quick, before I introduce our guest, could you please pause the show, and then in your podcast app, give a rating and review to the Best Interest Podcast. Why? Because the best interest, it's a growing small business, and I want to keep making this content for people just like you. A rating and a review, it lets all those fancy algorithms know that you care about this podcast. And I know I'm asking for your time, I'm asking for your effort, and I know that you don't owe me anything. So I really appreciate those of you who decide to sacrifice that time and effort to leave that rating and review. Thank you, guys. So with that... Let's go meet our guest. All right, folks. If my guest today was a professional wrestler, I would push for his nickname to be the Alabama Debt Killer. I think it's got a nice ring to it, no? Because yes, he overcame some pernicious debt and his resounding message, it focuses on one important concept simplicity. His ideas are terrific because not only are they effective in helping people, but they're simple enough for everyday people to implement. So I am pumped to pick his brain today and share some of those ideas with you. Here he is, Jared, aka Money J-Rod. Welcome, Jared, to the Best Interest Podcast. How you doing, man? Man, I'm doing awesome. And how did you know I was a professional wrestler, by the way? (laughs) You know, it was something, I think I saw a picture once maybe, and you were wearing like a, a leotard and it looked like you were holding a mask in your hand. And I just thought, you know, is that, is he a professional wrestler and he just hasn't told anybody yet? 
Yeah, so King, of course, but uh, but if I was a wrestler, it would definitely be the Alabama Dead Killers. So <laughs> love that so much. But, and the fact of the matter is, Jared, you know, a lot of people out there on Money Twitter think about side hustles. So maybe that's just one of your side hustles. You know, on the weekend, you go to the the, the ring, wherever it happens to be near you, you just jump off the turnbuckle and drop some elbows on people, you know? So I'll, I'll put that on my list of potential side hustles. <laughs> <laughs> It's a resume builder. It's a resume That's right. builder. That's right. <laughs> well, Jared, any good wrestler or even anyone who's not a wrestler, it's always fun to hear a cool backstory. So I was hoping you could give us your your backstory, whether it's the Money J-Rod backstory or the reason why I'm calling you the Alabama debt killer. I mean, how did your money journey begin? Yeah, sure. So uh, spoiler alert, it involves debt. Um, but going back a little bit further than that, um, I started off just like a lot of people, you know, um, around 18, 19 years old, I got out of high school and went straight to college and um, didn't really have a, a grasp on the concept of money or investing or spending really anything to do with money. I was completely ignorant on it. And one day my mother gave me a book and it was the, the, the turning point, I guess you would say for me starting to write the ship or start learning about finances, but it was uh, Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover. And I'm sure that's um, the beginning of millions of people's journey. And it was uh, certainly the beginning of mine. And, but the thing about it though, is I read that book from cover to cover, but I kind of set it down and I was like, okay, that's cool. It's, it's the concepts are cool, but you know, it didn't really resonate with me at the time. So fast forward a little bit, I go into college, graduate college, and then my wife, at the time she was my girlfriend, we, we finally got married. We, we dated for about six years. And um, so just like any normal married couple, we started uh, accumulating a little bit of debt here and there. Nothing too crazy starting off, just uh, one credit card here, one credit card there, uh, car payment. We bought a house. Uh, shortly after getting married. So just started um, trending in that direction that millions of other Americans find themselves in today, unfortunately. And until one day in our brand new house that we just, well, it wasn't brand new, it was new to us, but we walk into our house one day and we walk into the bedroom and there is a tiny bug on the wall. And, you know, you don't really think much about that kind of stuff around here because, you know, in the South, there's there's bugs all this place. It's like 100% humidity here all the time. <laughs> so bugs are going to find their way in the house. No big deal. But upon further investigation, we found that it wasn't just a bug. It was a termite. And just like around here, too, that's one of the issues that we deal with here in the South. There's, there's two kinds of houses in the South. If you've never heard, there's one that doesn't have termites. And there's one that's about to get termites. It's just something that we deal with. So when we made that discovery, we kind of freaked out a little bit um, and had somebody come look at it, a professional uh, pest control company. And luckily the damage wasn't super, super severe. However, it was uh, enough to where we had to uh, get a pretty um, extensive repair done for treatment. And then a long-term treatment plan also too. Um, so, and that cost us somewhere around $8,000 for the treatment and then setting up a, a long-term uh, 
treatment plan. So, but we didn't have the money to pay for it, of course. So what did we do? We went and borrowed the money, which actually uh, for that, we used some financing through the, the termite company. And just like that, boom, financed $8,000 along with all the other debt that we had accumulated up to that point. So, and you know, we had to do something, right? I mean, we couldn't just let it keep going. Right. So, right. so had to do something. Um, but it wasn't until after we actually uh, borrowed the money and I sat down on my computer one day looking at my bank account and then it just hit me all of a sudden thinking, okay, you know, we just financed $8,000 and it really didn't phase us. You know, it was just a normal quote unquote normal thing. And that was our mindset at the time. But at that moment, I thought, you know, we're, we're going in the wrong direction here. Um, we've got aspirations that me and my wife want to do. Mm-hmm. And it involves, you know, having kids one day and, you know, we want to open up a business potentially in the future. But with our finances, the way that it was at the time, there was no way that we could pursue those dreams. So that was our wake up moment so to say. And, and then, you know, went back to the bookshelf and took out that old book, rubbed rubbed the dust off of it (laughs) and opened it back up and actually took it to heart this time. And by that point it had been probably, I don't know, seven or eight years after I had read the total money makeover initially. And uh, we actually took a step further and went through the course um, online. So, um, you know, great course for anybody that's in debt. Um, and it changed our mindset around borrowing money. And it, it you know, the, the babies, I'm not going to get into that, but basically we did the baby steps. And, um, mm-hmm. but the one thing that helped us was we started a budget. And, and we can talk about that more later on. But, um, but when you utilize the budget, and I, I want to say it was around six to seven months later, we had the debt paid off. Uh, grand total was uh, somewhere around $30,000. That's not including the mortgage. Um, so, yeah, we just uh, we got it done, man. We, we made the budget, got to work, and paid it off. Paid the car off, paid the, the uh, termite loan off, paid off the credit cards. We cut up a bunch of credit cards. We didn't get rid of all the credit cards. So, uh, all you Dave Ramsey uh purists you know we didn't do it 100 percent, but um but we did we did get out of debt by utilizing his method and um and from there you know just started investing after that so but just that's kind of the the high level story there well i do want to come back i want to talk about uh dave ramsey i do want to talk a little bit about the budget i'm interested to hear about your budget but first i just want to point out and just highlight the fact that these termites kind of threw a wrench in your plan or you, you never saw them coming, right? No one expects right. termites who expects termites, but they put you on this financial path where in your own words, or I'm just going to paraphrase roughly here, you, you know, the debt made it so that your dreams that you and your wife's dreams potentially couldn't come true. You know, you wanted to start a business. Well, it's kind of hard to get a line of credit. If you have consumer debt hanging over you, you wanted to have kids. Well, first, it's nice to get out of debt before you have those kids. And the whole idea of an emergency fund or the whole idea of financial freedom, the thing that we're all working towards, 
is so that when the termites come, when those curveballs come that life throws at you, that you have a buffer and that you're ready to, to take on those emergencies head on, even though it's no fun. And the tough right. part about being in a little bit of debt is that that termite curveball, man, it, it, it can push you off balance. And it sounds like, you know, you guys got pushed off balance a little bit and you needed to find a way to, in your words, right that ship. Yeah. And, and I also like to say that, you know, the termites were literally eating away at our house, but this debt likewise was eating away at our cash flow mm-hmm. and eating away at our potential for our dreams that, that I talked about previously. So uh, it's interesting that it was termites and how you can relate the two, but it's, it's so true. And, and yeah, you're right. It definitely threw a curveball in our plans. Um, but you know, that's why I'm so passionate about emergency funds is because I've had the emergencies happen to me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when you have that, it kind of, um, alters your thinking or your philosophy around money. I know there's a lot of talk about emergency funds, um, you know, these days, especially with interest rates and cash is trash and all that. And then, you know, there's, there's smart ways to utilize, uh, cash and, and emergency funds, but, uh, but there's, there's something to say about the peace of mind that they bring. And, and going into finances with a, a spouse in the relationship, you have to consider the, their feelings as well. And my wife uh, specifically, she values having that security, having that emergency fund in place as a way to make her feel secure. And I value that. I value her opinion and I value her feeling secure. So that's why I place value in the emergency fund maybe a little more than some people do. And, and if you don't, that's fine. Um, but if you do, then absolutely go for it. If you feel comfortable with three months, six months, 12 months, whatever, whatever your, um, your risk tolerance is us personally, we only do three months. And, and, you know, if you, if your job situation is more stable or if you have, um, some other means, like some, you could potentially cash flow some stuff, maybe you can go a little less than that, or maybe you can go a little higher, uh, but that's just us, what we do personally. Um, and, and we're, we've been rock and rolling with that three month ever since. And so we've, and we've not modified that any. That's excellent. Uh, I am not an expert on uh, finances and relationships. I'm in a long-term relationship and I hope it stays as a long-term relationship. But that's just one thing that we haven't really sat down yet and, and talked about. Um, are we going to combine finances? How do we feel about our finances? We both trust each other as being reasonably frugal and responsible. So we have that going for us. But uh, I love that, J-Rod, how you, know, you value what how your wife feels about your finances and you value the security that you get from an emergency fund. And you you were very kind about the way you phrased something there where you said it's not always uh, popular to talk about emergency funds and cash and cash is trash because there are a lot of people in our community right now who say, why would you keep money in a bank account where it's only earning 0.1% or 0.3% or maybe if you're lucky 0.5% when you could be investing in the stock market and making 20% a year because that's what we've been doing recently. And it's, it's really cool to tell your audience that you could be making a lot of money by not having an emergency fund. It sounds amazing. It really does. But it's, it's a lot harder, in my opinion, to take a step back and talk about risk versus reward and talk about the risk that you're putting your money under by putting in a place that's not a standard bank account, whether it's a 
crypto loaning account that's not FDIC insured. That's something that's talked about a lot. I'm not a huge fan of it. Or it could be putting your money in the, in the stock market where you want to expose it to that risk because it's probably going to gain more than in a bank. But when emergency strikes, when the termites start eating, it's nice to be able to depend on the money that you have. And the best way to do that is through a, a standard emergency fund. Right. And, and you know, I've, I've thought so hard about doing something different with my three-month emergency fund. Um, I've been tempted to throw it into Bitcoin. I've been, you know, all of those types of investment. And, um, but I just consider how it would, how would my wife feel about it? And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and she, she's not as involved with the finances as I am, but, um, but again, it goes back to um, knowing where we're at and how um, money is involved in our relationship. And so I just keep it parked right there. Cause I know she, she values that. And um, so it's just what we, what we do. Um, and again, if, if you feel differently, that's, that's perfectly fine. If, if other listeners out there, maybe you don't feel like putting cash uh, to side like that, you know, that that's perfectly fine, but uh, it's what we do. And, you know, we understand the, the, the impact of that, you know, the, the opportunity cost. It's, it's something that we understand. Um, but we also use that as the, uh, the springboard for our investment journey, because if we didn't have that emergency fund in place, we would feel tempted to potentially sell some investments in the event of emergency. And we could get creative with our budget too, to, um, to cash flow some stuff. That's what we've done before too. We've had some stuff come up uh, where we didn't necessarily pull from our emergency fund, but we got creative on our budget and used our cash flow to be able to pay things. And that's nine times out of 10, what we do. And I feel like a lot of other people do that as well, especially in the, uh, the money Twitter world. And that's, that's great. Um, but for those that are a little bit tighter with their budget, you know, don't have the, uh, the extra cash flow, or maybe they're in a, a situation where they have some debt. Um, the emergency fund is an absolute must. And, you know, I would encourage anyone to, uh, to build one up and uh, after uh, paying off your debt. And even if you're debt free, keep an emergency fund. It's just what I personally do. And it's what I tell my, you know, encourage my followers to do. But, gotcha. but yeah, that, that's the way we utilize one. Well, let's let's actually talk a little bit about your budget, and then also you you mentioned there the cash flow method that you use to to pay for things, so you don't have to dip into your emergency fund. Maybe we can talk about that too. But but to start, I mean, what kind of budget do you guys run? You know, do you use an app? Is it all on a spreadsheet? Like how do, how do you do that? And then uh, and you know, I'm curious how it enabled you to to pay off this thirty thousand dollars in debt in, in a really short, impressive time period. You were saying six or seven months. So how does budgeting tie in with that? Yeah. So, um, and I promise I'm not sponsored by Dave Ramsey or anything like that, <laughs> no, but, no, go for it, man. But, we, but we, we use his every dollar app and it's, okay. you know, it's, it's something that we started off with going all the way, which, which we started the total money makeover, uh, that whole program before every dollar even came out. But, um, but prior to that, we used mint mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I liked mint, but, um, it was, to me, it was a little, clunky and not as user-friendly because you had to modify the, uh, the categories and sometimes the, the, uh, the labels kind of shifted. It's, it's been a while since I've looked at that, gotcha. yeah, but, uh, yep. but we use every dollar now it's, it's super user-friendly. Uh, we actually pay for the, uh, the, the every dollar plus. So it links to our bank account and all of our expenditures go into a queue 
and then we just go in and it's just a drag and drop feature after that we set our our uh, budget we have a, a budget meeting not every month we used to sit down every month we've kind of shifted toward like an every other month or maybe two months we'll sit down and talk about things um so but when, when we swap our debit card we just move those expenses over and it makes it super super easy um so that's what we use now and it was uh, crucial when we was paying off our debt because when we first sat down uh, going back after we discovered the termites um it was just amazing to sit down and put all of our expenses in and everything that we've been spending. And it was just like, holy crap, how did we just get completely irresponsible where we was just spending, because we were spending uh, more than we made and was going in the hole. And, but so, but just actually seeing it in person is, is that's, it's very impactful. Mm -hmm. And when you sit down and see that, and you start looking at all the things that you can cut out, like all the random trips to, I don't know, Belk. You know, we had a Belk credit card and it was actually something that I got. It wasn't my wife. It was, it was something that I got. And, um, you know, just random trips there. Um, you know, it all adds up eating out. Um, you know, man, we were, we were spending about a thousand dollars a month at one point at the high point uh, eating out. Oh, and yep. so it, it was just crazy. And so once you cut all that out and you just get down to, okay, here's our income, here's our bills, our utilities, and here's the other things that we know we need, right? And then you see all the money that's left because we do a zero-based budget. Um, we, we utilize a, a zero-based so we can see um, how much we have left at the top after we allocate all of our our expenses versus yep. our income. Yep. So when you see that number at the top, you know, you got X amount left a budget, you know, that's essentially what you have to play with. Um, because in every dollar, it shows it at the top, you know, how much yeah. you have left a budget. Yep. And so when you see that money, I call it cloud money because, you know, it's up in the cloud, right? <laughs> so we have a lot of cloud money here we can play with. And that's what we threw at the debt. Okay. Um, we would take that, quote unquote cloud money and we would throw it at the debt each month and when you see the that balance slowly drop you get motivated and we did the uh, the debt snowball of course and so all the largest debt regardless of interest rate um it, it was or i'm sorry smallest smallest at the top right worked your way okay. down right okay. sorry no no and okay. then we we had a uh, we had a one credit card that was like 500 balance and we had one that was like I want to say it's like a little over a thousand, something like that. So we just started knocking those off. And when you start seeing all of those uh, debt uh, levels going off, it's mm -hmm. super, super motivating. And it was for us. And when we just got on fire with it, we went completely um, headstrong with it. And, you know, I wish I could say that there was a, a something special that we did or some kind of elaborate system that we utilized, but that was really it. And, and, you know, I'm just I'm going back to my simple way of managing finances. That's, yeah. that's the simple way we pay off our debt. And, but being in the unique situation that we were in um, with being uh, married, mm -hmm. uh, you have to navigate through that certain way too. Right. Like, Cause I was super motivated at the time. My wife wasn't so much. I had to get her on board. 
So speaking for a moment on that is I had to approach it in a way that, okay, how will it impact us and our future? And I'm not coming to her with a plan. I'm coming to her with us a plan and keep her um, aspirations and goals in mind too while navigating through this. Because I mean, you can go just, hey, this is what we're going to do and just be real headstrong with it. But that's that's definitely not the way to approach it. That's how I started off at first. And let me tell you, that's definitely not the way to do it. Because there was a proverbial wall that went up and just completely shut me down. So I had to go approach it in a different way. And, and that's what I did. I started speaking about, okay, what can we do with this debt out of our life? And that's when we started talking about these, these dreams that I mentioned earlier. You know, we want to be able to finance a portion of our kids' college through uh, 529s. We want to uh, invest uh, potentially to the point where we can retire early. We want to uh, maybe open up that coffee shop one day that we've always dreamed about. So all of these things that, that we mentioned at our dream meeting on what we can do when we pay this debt off, it really brings a sense of unity to the conversation and a sense of teamwork. And then it's not me against you and the debt you know it's us against the debt and so because at that point it's you all against the debt and the budget is the tool that you're going to use to defeat it and so because it doesn't matter if, if you're going to go off and do something different what good is the budget right i mean you can sit down and make a plan but the plan is only as good as you utilizing the plan and actually executing it so, yeah, I can sit here and talk all day long about you making a budget, mm-hmm. but if you actually do not carry it out, then it doesn't matter. Right. So that's that's a super, super important part of all of this is the unity component. And, you know, the, you, there may be a listener out there that's not married, and that's perfectly fine. It's all up to you at that point. But if you're out there and you're in a relationship where maybe it's you and your um you know, your girlfriend, boyfriend, married, whatever the situation may be, uh, there's different personalities involved. And you have to learn how to navigate through that or else you're, you're not going to get anywhere, I assure you. So I strongly encourage anyone that's listening to this that's maybe in this situation to sit down and have that dream discussion because without your spouse on the same board, on the same team as you, you're going to struggle, I assure you. I have some high praise for you right now, Jared. I think anybody listening to this is probably saying to themselves right now, like, man, Jared sounds like a pretty good husband. <laughs> you know, very thoughtful. I mean, it is very thoughtful. But the high praise is uh, Ramit Sethi, who some of you know, he wrote a book called I Will Teach You to Be Rich. And he's on the pantheon of personal finance thinkers, along with, with Dave Ramsey, who Jared has mentioned here. I know Ramit is coming out with a new podcast soon specifically where he sits down and chats with couples, uh, oftentimes couples who have had money issues or are going through money issues and works with those couples to, to come together on a cohesive plan. One of the big things that Ramit talks about is uh, what does your quote unquote rich life look like? He talks about people's rich lives, which is just similar to what you just said, Jared, having that dream discussion, you know, what do we want to do? Where do we want to be? How are kids involved? How are we helping our kids? You know, are we going on vacations? What does that look like? And then you kind of go a step further and say, 
well, what do our finances need to look like to go there? But step one is sitting down with your partner and deciding what kind of life do you want with them? Uh, and the fact that, that you did that along this journey, I think that's huge. And I'll, I'll let you talk about it, but I have to assume that it's really paid off in terms of your relationship with each other, as well as your relationship with, with money. Yeah. And, and first of all, uh, I appreciate the kind words, but I'm, I'm just, I'm still learning, man. Uh, but I've, I've experienced some stuff. Uh, we will be married 10 years next year. So, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of trial and error, I, I assure you, but, uh, but yeah, no, uh, it's interesting. You mentioned uh, Ramit because uh, I believe he was on the Tim Ferriss podcast. Was was. Ago. Yeah. I listened to that episode. That was, that was phenomenal. And was. I'm looking forward to that, uh, that show when he, he finally gets it started. But, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's it's all money is more psychological than more people would like to admit or more people know and 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 it's it's just something that i've noticed in our personal lives and and even once you get past the the debt part you know that that's that's a different thing but even going forward once you pay off the debt and maybe you set your systems in place your your investing systems your um spending systems whatever they may be because money is a part of life and from now you know until forever and and money is highly psychological highly emotional it's one of the uh, most emotional things that we deal with uh, money issues is one of the number one causes of divorce in america today unfortunately and so this this is some super super important stuff and the sooner you talk about it and you start discussing it uh, the better off you'll be. Um, and so having those discussions about what we're going to do is speaking in terms of what we, instead of I, that that's, that's so, so important. And, um, but you know, there, it, it's not perfect. We're, we're not perfect. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm painting a, a kind of a rosy picture here, but I, I assure you we're not. And, um, and don't expect, you to be or any of your listeners to be either because it, it's certainly trial and error and it's it's a, it's a journey man it really is and so you know i can't say enough about it well we will keep that in mind for sure and right not, nothing is ever easy but um i'm sure it always gets easier if, if you're aligned with the people that you're traveling with and in this case that's that's your wife and, and your family so good on you jared it, i was thinking though uh Real quick, before we move on to maybe more of an investing topic or, or something to talk about other than that, I would want to talk about Dave Ramsey just real quick because he is a polarizing figure and uh, I've got some opinions about him that probably aren't as bad as, as you might think or as the listeners might think. <laughs> but um, I, I'm just curious, you know, you said you followed some of his rules, you haven't followed a couple others. I mean, all in all, what are your thoughts on Dave Ramsey? So. First of all, I believe his methods of getting out of debt are, you know, it, it speaks for itself. The, the results speak for themselves. I mean, he's got millions and millions of listeners on his podcast every day. Um, the, the baby steps were designed with, you know, this psychology in mind. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I was drinking the Kool-Aid at the very beginning. I mean, I went to his conventions. I went to, you know, I actually went there and met him at his headquarters one time. So we were like deep, deep into it. <laughs> so that portion of it is for anybody that is wanting to pay off debt. Yep. 
if that if that's your situation, 100%, that's the way to go. Now, Dave is also the training wheels of finance. You know, when you're learning to ride a bike, you've got the training wheels. Gotcha. I see. You're starting off and you're you're learning how to ride the bike, but once you get to that point where you feel comfortable enough to take the training wheels off, then you can go on your own. Well, I like to I like to say that Dave is the training wheels. And this is something I've just recently kind of came around to, right? I like it. So, you know, I'm not necessarily drinking the Kool-Aid some more, uh, so to say, but uh, but once you get to that point where you've learned a thing or two about money, you're out of debt, you're, um, you know, you're starting to build some wealth um, and you get to where you're ready to start investing. Um, yeah, don't follow his advice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to go ahead and say that um, because right away when we paid off our debt, you know, I was doing it by the book. I went to the ELP. I, got lined up with a one of his advisors mm-hmm. what, what was that I'm sorry, was that EO, eop the elp the endorsed local provider that's it's oh. one of his things that he, okay. he calls like the, the people that work for him or not really work for him but yes yeah, some agreement that he endorses yeah. right he, okay. he endorses them because they supposedly align with his philosophy or whatever uh-huh. but but wait, man we were doing it by the book we went to this endorsed local provider we started getting involved with uh this advisor he was putting us in mutual funds mm-hmm. all the stuff that you know he shows um but then i got to reading a little bit more about these what we were invested in and uh it was some really high fees <laughs> so um so long story short uh got rid of and you know we didn't really have a super big portfolio at the time so when we said that we would we want to take our money somewhere else, they were like, okay, whatever, go ahead, because they wouldn't make a whole lot off of us anyway. Okay. okay. So <laughs> so just kind of took the reins at that point and started investing on my own. But just, you know, to round out the whole what I think of Dave Ramsey thing, that's 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 essentially it, man. That's it's get the debt paid off. But once you get beyond that, you know, start looking elsewhere for advice about investing. And I don't think that's a uh a controversial take. I feel like most people agree with that. And when you sit down and look, I mean, there's index funds now that you can buy in that's literally zero fees. Right. And then you get broad exposure over the whole entire market that, you know, he's not teaching about that stuff. And and personally, I feel like he does not do that because he's known as the debt free guy. He's not the investment guy. Mm -hmm. You know, if Mm -hmm. he starts making some big recommendations about investing on a show, you know, he's going to go off brand. I so I, I personally feel like that's why he does that. And that's just me. But, but anyway, yeah, once you get the debt paid off and you're ready you know, to go investing, don't don't listen to what he says. Yeah. <laughs> high, high fees and just super, super, just not very specific. So, yeah, okay. go elsewhere. <laughs> well, that that aligns pretty closely with with my own feelings on Dave. I, I've written a couple articles about him. And, and one specifically that jumps to mind is, you know, he catches a lot of hate because some of his rules seem, seem pretty absolute, seem very strict, very much like, like you said earlier, you know, if people aren't following all of Dave's rules. Well, some other of Dave's followers are going to look at them and say, Jared, why are you breaking that rule? You know, like he's got these strict rules. Well, the fact of the matter is that if a rule is really effective for 80 or 90% of his customers, 
well, that's probably a good rule. Maybe it doesn't fit everybody. Maybe it's okay to break one or two, but a lot of his rules are working for people to get out of debt. I love that training wheels metaphor. Hadn't heard it before, Jared, but it's so hard in life to fit multiple roles or multiple niches. You know, it's hard to have training wheels on a bike, but then also expect to strap an engine on it and treat it like a motorcycle, right? right. You, you kind of have to choose one or the other. And similar here, it's hard for Dave Ramsey, I'm sure, to produce these broad sweeping rules that can help thousands of people who are in really bad financial situations, but then also to produce these more nuanced rules for uh, lower percentages of people, specific people who are in good financial situations who want very specific advice. It's kind of like, you know, do you want it broad in general or do you want it narrow and specific? It's hard right. to do both. Uh, one last thing is, is I heard uh, an interesting thing about Dave Ramsey that he, he does sometimes specifically, he does not like index funds. He does not like low cost ETFs. Um, I've, I've heard, and again, this is secondhand information, but I've heard that his claim is, you know, why would you ever want average performance? Why would you want average? That's all you get with an index fund. Whereas my mutual funds over here, yeah, they've got some high fees, but he, he says they get above market performance. Now, that is a debatable topic. But, yeah, um, and, and, the, and the data shows that, that most actively managed funds don't outperform the index, right? I mean, you can Google correct. that and find that, and he, and he knows that. Um, and so I don't know if he's getting paid to promote these mutual funds. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, but again, that just goes back to, you know, when you think of Dave friends, you think of the debt, get out of debt guy. You don't think about the investment guy. So, uh, so uh, he, he would be stepping off brand if he were to be talking about investing. So, um, but, but yeah, for most people, he's the way to go. And, you know, and I, that's why I like to talk about books a lot on Twitter is because when you, when you've read that first finance book, whether it's total money makeover or, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, or some kind of uh, other book that's maybe way more nuanced, like you said, that those books alter your philosophy for a long, long time. And so I see people all the time that say, okay, well, my first finance book was uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and which is awesome, you know, but, you know, he, he, he preaches using leverage and, um, you know, he's real big into gold and, mm -hmm. and, you know, people that follow me on Twitter know that I'm not a fan of, of that book. But, uh, yeah. but but reading that book first is like a toddler getting behind a, a car, you know, and, and driving and going to the metaphors. That's and, and not to say that, you know, he won't get there safely, but it's very, very dangerous. Right. And, and there's people that have started off with Rich Dad Poor Dad and done very, very well for themselves. Um but but it's all about which one you start with, and, you know if it's if it's a book, and and that's why I recommend Dave for for people's because he he at least gets you set on a a firm foundation money wise, and then from there branch off and start mm -hmm. learning on your own and doing your own things and and becoming more nuanced in your investment journey, um, because as we've already said, his is is not not the way to go. All right, Jared. So you've mentioned investing a couple times now, and, and we kind of dipped our toe into it, but let's let's dive in. What is the, the investing advice and the simple investing advice that anyone can follow that you push your followers towards? 
you know, I love talking about this and, and because it's, it's something that changed my philosophy on investing. I mean, well, I didn't really have a philosophy when it came to investing after we paid off our debt. I was just kind of winging it and uh, played with individual stocks for a little while and was getting burned on those. I mean, just because I didn't have a system in place for it. But, uh, but then I learned about index funds and I've been 100% index funds ever since. Um, so what I do personally is I do my uh, 6% match on my 401k at work. Um, just do that right off the bat. Um, and then from there, I move into Roth IRA and then from there into a brokerage account. So my 401k is not the best as, as far as like investment options. So I never max out my 401k. I just do the 6% and then I move on to uh, just broad-based index funds. I, I do a S&P 500 index fund in Fidelity and also do their total total market fund, uh, their zero fund mm -hmm. uh, in Fidelity. So that's what I'm rocking with right now. I've maxed out the Roth, uh, I think two, two, three years in a row now. Um, and I'm in the, uh, I'm putting in in my brokerage right now. So just, just again, just S&P 500 index funds there. Um, but it's, it's really simple. I just went and opened up an account in Fidelity because that's where my, my 401k is. It took maybe five minutes to open up a Roth. And from there, um, at the time when I first opened it, I believe I opened up one last year, my Roth last year, a right at the pit of COVID, like right when the, so my time, I mean, I did not time it, I assure you, but I opened up the Roth and I actually transferred some money over from another Roth IRA that I had that was just, you know, that was when I had the the mutual funds with the, the Dave Ramsey mm -hmm. type okay. of mindset. So I, and that was after I moved it all over from that, uh, that uh, advisor, sold all of that mess and put it into the Roth with Fidelity. And so I rolled some over and and started investing in the S&P 500 fund uh, with Fidelity last year of whatever it was, like what, April, May last year, I believe, when the market dipped at yeah. the very bottom. Right. So yeah, my timing was um, impeccable on that. And um, and it's done really well since then. So, um, but, but don't time it, just open it up and start putting in. And I, tell, I would tell anybody that. Um, because even buying the dips, I think there was some discussion on Twitter today about, you know, buying the dips, is it timing the market or whatever, you know, jury's still out on that one. I personally feel like it's timing the market myself, but um, I think it was you, wouldn't you? It was me. About that? Yeah, yeah, that was you. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, I, I don't do that. I, I do not tell people to do that. Just, just put it in. It, it's, it's, it's easy, mm -hmm. simple, open the account, put the money in, invest it and let it sit, index and chill. And then go live your life because that's what I do. And um, it's really just as simple as that. Um, there's, there's really no secret to it. I mean, it's just, it's just as simple as that. Uh, also too, I set up uh, automatic contributions. So uh, I do, I do that. And that it was systematic too, just because if I were to, if I had to rely on myself to do it, that would, that would be a dumpster fire. So I, I just, I put those systems in place of five hundred dollars per month, and that's enough to uh, to max it out. But you know, going back to cash flow, sometimes I just go ahead and just max it out. 
you know, just if we have some extra cloud money, like I was talking about earlier, I just throw that in. Um, sometimes our, our income is variable. So sometimes we make more uh, on some months than we do some other months. And then I'll just go ahead and throw a certain percentage extra into the, uh, the Roth. Um, but I'm really excited because I've already maxed out the Roth this year. So I'm looking into doing some other type investing too. So um, been a lot of discussion about crypto here lately, Bitcoin going up <laughs> to hundred grand by the end of the year. So I don't want to miss out on that. So, so I'm, I may uh, dip my toes into Bitcoin here for long. Um, I, I did open a, a Coinbase account a couple oh, of nice. weeks ago. Nice. Yeah. So, but you know, I, but still index function. I'm still doing my, my research. I'm still yep. letting people convince me that it's a good idea. And there's plenty of people out there doing that. Right. Um, so, but I may do a, just a 2% into a crypto here. Yeah. Here, here soon, 2% of my portfolio into, into crypto. And that's not much. Um, you know, uh, your friend, Andy, he made a good point uh, a couple of days ago. You know, 2% of your portfolio is, is not, in the grand scheme of things, not really that much. Right. So what do you have to lose? And I, and I completely understand that. Um, so that, that's what I'm thinking about doing now, but if you're, if you, that's what I'm personally, what I'm doing, but anyone that's just starting off, definitely index funds is the way to go. And then once you start learning, once you start growing and you start accumulating more knowledge, if you want to branch off into other things, 100% go for it. Um, but when it comes to order of operations, um, I like uh, what Brian Preston says. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Brian Preston and the Money no. Guy Show. Uh, oh, I, I the encourage Money you Guy to, Show. Yeah, the Money yeah. Guy Show. Check okay. him out. Yeah. He, he's, he's really cool. He's got uh, order of operations. Uh, and so, you know, pay off the debt, get the emergency fund, get the match to your 401k, and then start investing into uh, to rise and get that tax-free growth because that's super powerful. Um, we also do an HSA too. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a, 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 an HSA through my employer, so we're fortunate to uh, to have the ability to uh, to invest in that also. Um, and again, that's just real uh, low cost index funds there as well, and all about keeping the costs low, and and you know the growth as high as possible. And right now, you know the market's doing awesome, so you know you could really put in anything and it would grow. But that's that's kind of the dangerous part too, right? You know, people right. get kind of <laughs> caught up into all these other speculative investments. I mean, literally everything's going up right now, so why not put it into this crap coin? You know, <laughs> but um, but you know that's what I do. It's it's just real simple stuff, and and I keep it simple because it is simple if you make it simple. Um, you can complicate stuff all day long, but um, at the end of the day, there's there's simple processes you can put in place to make this stuff not as intimidating because it is intimidating if you're first starting off. Um, because when I first started investing, I thought that investing was, you know, buying Apple stock or buying, you know, Coca-Cola. You know, I have this iPhone in my hand. Well, yeah, I'm going to buy Apple. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the way most people think. And that's the way I thought. Um and I got burned doing that just because I didn't know what I was doing. But then when I found index funds, it um, it just it made it so easy to get into the market without having to do all the research because I don't you know that's not really me. I don't like sitting down and um, doing all the research. And, and some people love that, and that's fine uh, if that's your thing. Then go for it. Uh, it's just personally not my thing, mm -hmm. and I don't think it would be uh, 
outlandish to say that it's, you know, 95% of people's, it's not their thing either. So, um, so you certainly do not have to do that. There, there's ways to get in the market without having to do a whole lot of research. So that's my message. And that's what I like to say on Twitter all the time. I really like that, especially that last part. I'm going to, I'm going to back you up on that. Those last few points you made, Jared, you know, there are people out there that we know who do their two hours of research a week on a specific company. And then they do that for five other companies. So they do 12 hours of research a week and they say, I feel good about buying these six companies. I'll tell you what, that's a heck of a lot more research than I've done. Mm -hmm. I would point out that each one of those companies has some guy on Wall Street at some hedge fund who's doing 50 hours of research a week on just that one company trying to decide if, you know, for example, $60 per share is the right price to buy or sell that company at. And if you are investing in individual stocks, that guy on Wall Street, you can think of him as your competition, right? He's the one, he's trying to make smart decisions or she's trying to make smart decisions. And meanwhile, here you are after work on your iPhone, on the Robinhood app, doing your research, trying to make that smart decision too. That's, that's pretty tough. And so I, or like I was uh, on reading Yahoo finance articles. (laughs) Yeah. I don't, that's definitely not a good resource by the way. So exactly right. I, you know, I like to point out to people, you know, people watch my uncle, uh, Jim Cramer. No, I'm Jesse Cramer, uncle Jim Cramer, not my real uncle, but I like calling him uncle Jim. I tell you that much. He's got the show mad money. If you're not familiar with mad money, Jim Cramer sits on CNBC. He's got all these sound effects and bullhorns and buzzers and, and clown horns. And he talks about stocks. He screams into the microphone like this. It's a buy. It's a buy. <laughs> he gets you all mm. pumped up about a stock. Well, guess yep. what? He's talking about it a day or two days or three days after some big news event happened, right? The market has already reacted to that news by the time you hear Jim Cramer talking about it. And the next morning when you log into your account and you buy that stock because Jim Cramer told you to, man, it is too late. The market has already adjusted for that news. It's hard to beat the market. It's hard to know more than the market. And one of the best things you can do is just say, I submit, I am just going to take the average of what the market gives me. Just give me the average and charge me close to zero fees for doing that. And that's exactly what an index fund does. Yeah. And, and, you know, if I was going to delve into individual stocks, I would rather be on a discord server somewhere on money Twitter than listen to a a Kramer, because, you know, like you said, if you're hearing it on, on his show, you've already missed out. Right. Right. So, um, but, but, you know, you know, again, going back to simple, I just, I like keeping things simple. And so that's why index funds are so appealing to me. And um, so, you know, if it's your thing, if individual stocks is your thing, if dividend stocks is your thing, go for it. Uh, it's just, it's just not my thing. You know, yeah. it's a good attitude. Yep. To have. <laughs> you know, like, go ahead, go ahead and go for it. I think it's cool. I'm going to cheer someone on if they want to do it and they think they can find success. And I'm interested to hear their stories. But like you said, Jared, it's not for me. I got other fun things to do with my time, like writing about stocks rather than, <laughs> rather than right. doing the research on it myself. Yeah, no, you can make a lot of money. Um, if you if you know how to do it, like what what you're saying, you know, going back to the the guy on Wall Street, you know, you can drive to compete against him, and you can learn a lot of stuff if you really mm-hmm. dive into it. But uh, but um, you know, I'm like you, I've got other things to do. <laughs>
Well, cool, man. I'm glad we're on the same page. And I think that's great advice for any listener, especially, you know, max out the 401k, then move on to your Roth. Uh, brokerage accounts give you some flexibility that you can pull your money out before 59 and a half if you want to, you don't have to. And then an HSA, a health savings account. Listeners, if you aren't familiar with that, figure out if you have one available to you because it has the best tax advantages of just about any account that an American at least can get access to. But Jared, I'm wondering, let's move on to the rapid fire questions. What do you think? Let's do it. Cool, man. All right. The first one of the famous best interest podcast rapid fire questions. What is the last material object or personal luxury that you spent a hundred dollars or more on? Yeah. So I had to really think about this one. Uh, so we went on vacation a few weeks ago and uh, went to a really nice dinner on the beach. Um, it was north of 100. Uh, and so, but it was all in the budget and it was all planned out. And that's what makes it even better is being able to do that and, uh, and not have to worry about it. So that was, that was probably the most recent thing is just a, just a nice dinner with the family, man. Um, and we made a lot of memories doing it. Um, so, you know, seafood on the, on the Gulf, it, it doesn't get any better than that. And that's what it was. And uh, it, it was super awesome. That is so cool. It sounds yeah. delicious. And also, oh, like it, you it said, <laughs> there's nothing quite as satisfying as some sort of luxury, some sort of special treat that you've planned for, that's budgeted, that's all taken care of. and You don't have to worry about the financial part one bit. That is awesome. That's right. Yep. And also it was put on a credit card too. <laughs> oh, those, those points. Got to get those oh, points. Oh, yeah. Got okay. to get the points. Yep. Now, I think Dave Ramsey listens to this podcast once in a while, but he hasn't tuned in in a few episodes. So I think you're safe. Well, if you're listening now, Dave, I'm sorry to disappoint you. But, uh, <laughs> going a different route now. Uh, he, he writes in. He'll write in some fan mail if, if he wants to write you off, Jared. I'll, I'll let you know. I'll forward it to you. <laughs> All that right. Sounds good. <laughs> Next question. Uh, what's a good habit that you're trying to form or a bad habit that you are trying to break? Yeah, so one habit that, that I have right now that I'm trying to break, and, and I think this is from, from what I've seen on Twitter, a lot of a lot of people that are in the Twitter space promoting their, their content on Twitter is uh, just putting the phone down more often. Um, you know, when I come home um, from work, uh, I'm in the prime time hours of, of engagement on on Twitter. And so I'm, I'm tempted to sit down and and post a tweet or maybe engage with some other people. Um, but my son is sitting there looking at me while I'm doing that. So I'm, I'm being more intentional about putting that down and being present. And so, um, and I've, I've made a lot of strides on that here lately. I'm, I'm happy to say so, because, you know, they're only little for so long. Right. And, you know, as I said earlier, I don't have time to do individual stops because I've got all this other stuff I've got to do like playing with my my six-year-old, playing with my one-year-old. And so that's another great thing about that, man, is, you know, having the ability to not only take advantage of the market and take advantage of all these companies in this uh, in, uh, index fund and have all this extra time to play with my kids or take a walk or spend time with my wife and all this uh, stuff that is honestly more important at the end of the day, right? So 
having that spare time, how are you going to use it? And then that's what I'm trying to be intentional with. And uh, I'm getting better. I really am. Um, but as far as one good habit, um, I'm trying to form, drink more water, <laughs> nice. you know? So yeah. uh, I got a 20 ounce cup and um, I try to do five each day. And so that's my goal right now. I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Well, the, your first answer, that was a beautiful answer. I love that answer. Put the phone down, spend time with your family. Who can argue with that? And uh, the second answer, very pragmatic, very practical. A recent episode, uh, I think it was 28, guest, Adam Schaup. Adam wrote to me. He, I asked him for some fitness tips. And one of the big ones that he sent to me was drink more water, man. Water just good for you, hydrates you. It fills you up and, and it convinces your body that you don't need more calories because often you just need more water. Just a win, win, win. And I think that's a tweet I've seen somewhere too, right? Drink more water. <laughs> right after eat more steak and take cold showers. Right. Maybe all at yeah. the same time, I think, right? I'm going to get there one of these days, I promise. I, yeah, I'm, I'm I, striving. I bring my steak in the shower only at 4 a.m. though, after my spinach smoothie. And don't go buy Starbucks after that because your net worth will go to zero. Only if you've done yoga first. <laughs> that's right. Se second yoga of the day. That's when you get Starbucks. <laughs> all right um well earlier earlier you told us about the every dollar app and i always like to ask people what's your fi favorite financial tool or app or service and why i mean is it is it every dollar or maybe it's is it fidelity what do you like the best j-rod yeah so since i've already mentioned every dollar um i'll mention one tool that i use and, and i've got to give a shout out to uh to landshark um, if you're familiar yep. with, uh, with him on Twitter, yeah. So he shared his uh, his net worth tracker, and, um, and he was ready to, uh, to give it to me as uh, a download. And so I downloaded it, and um, it's just a simple Google uh, Google Sheets. Um, but the way he's got it laid out is real is real easy to use, really simple. So that's what I used to track my net worth with is that uh, is that sheet that he that he created. And also too, you know, as you said, Fidelity, that the user interface is, is so uh, user-friendly. And that's why I went away from E-Trade because uh, I had an E-Trade account, but it, it's a little more cumbersome to use uh, from what I found. So yeah, Fidelity is uh, what I use for my uh, 401k and my, and my Roth accounts. And, uh, and that's why I push it so much on Twitter is just because not only is what I use and what I'm familiar with, but it's just so super to, to it's super easy to use. Is what yeah. I've seen. Nice. Yeah. I'm a happy Fidelity user as well. And uh, last one, Jared, if I gave you a billboard to share any message with the world, what would you say? So you've heard the, uh, the acronym KISS, right? Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. Well, I, I, don't, I don't use that. I've modified it to say keep investing strategies simple. Um, like because it. it's, um, you know, again, I, I practice what I preach and I keep things super simple. Um, you know, as I've said a thousand times on here, probably, but, uh, but it's, it's super relatable and, and, you know, that's why going back to the index funds, keep it simple, man, because the more you grow, uh, the complexity is going to naturally come. So keeping it simple, starting off, it's going to allow you to, uh, to navigate that complexity one day once your net worth grows to a certain point. So kind of setting the setting things off on the right tone by keeping things uh, super simple first, because uh, later on things will get more complex. 
and hopefully it'll uh, allow me to navigate that a little easier later on down the road. Excellent. Keep investing strategies simple. Simple is the way to go. Jared, if people want to reach out to you and, and talk through some of their investing strategies or, or want to learn from you, I know you've got a, a book, uh, an ebook that you, you offer to people. I mean, how can people reach you and, and how can they find this book? Yeah, so uh, you can find me first on Twitter at MoneyJRod. Um, and you can find my book there on my profile um, under the bio. It's, it's, it's just a free book uh, that I've made that just details our whole journey and how we utilized a budget to pay off our debt and how we're utilizing a budget even today to help us uh, reach our investing goals. Um, because it's certainly a lifestyle to us. And, and I touch on a lot about the, the relational aspect of money and uh, how to navigate that in a marriage. So um, it's just detailing the things that I've learned along the way. And so I wanted to get that out there for people just so they can have it and, you know, totally free, just go download it. And also you can go to my website, uh, jrodmoney.com and, um, and just uh, nav- uh, sign up for my newsletter. I'm just now really getting it started. I've not really done much with it right now, but uh, that's that's the next uh, phase for me right now. So go check it out. Very cool. So that's Money J Rod on Twitter. There's a J Rod Money on Twitter. It's, it's actually Money J Rod because uh, J Rod okay. Money was already taken. <laughs> so uh, I had to switch it up there. So uh, a, little, a little confusing, but uh, yeah, put the money first, then J Rod. Okay, Money J Rod on Twitter or jrodmoney.com. Don't worry, listeners. I'll throw the links in the show notes so you can find them all there. Jared, the Alabama debt killer himself. Thank you so much for coming onto the Best Interest Podcast and sharing your thoughts with us. Yeah, and thank you for having me on here, Jesse. You've you've already had an all-star lineup already, and so I'm, I'm honored to, to be on that list, man. I really appreciate you having me. You belong on that list, my man. Thank you again for coming on. We'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks. Huge shout-out to J-Rod. Thank you, Jared, for coming on to the Best Interest Podcast today. And if you listeners want to get a hold of J-Rod, I've included all of his relevant links in the show notes. If you want to reach out to me, and I love hearing from you guys, my email is jesse at bestinterest.blog, or you can follow me on Twitter, where my username is bestinterest underscore jc. If you find this content valuable and you want to give back, I have three easy, free options for you, always absolutely free. Option one, very simple. Subscribe to the podcast from the app you're listening to right now. And then options two and three, are to leave a rating and leave a review of the Best Interest Podcast. Tell me what you think. I want to hear back from you guys. We can continue to invest in one another because, as Ben Franklin said, an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. Sharing with others is investing in their knowledge. So thank you all for listening to this episode 33 of the Best Interest Podcast. Everything good? So uh, it's it's a little dark. It's hard to see, but like a eight inch limb, I don't know how long, 15, 20 feet long, fell on my neighbor's garage. Oh, wow. From the, from the tree that's like in between our properties, right on his side of the property line. So like third of the tree is over my house and two thirds is over his. And it's dead and it needs to come down. On, you know, oh my gosh. 
his garage just got thumped. <laughs> my girlfriend, <laughs> as we're walking back in the house, my girlfriend just looks at me and she goes, our house is next. It's like, I know. So that, that's, we'll spend some money on that sometime soon. You got a chainsaw? Say it again. You got a chainsaw? You can go I know. No, yeah. I've got, <laughs> I've got a dad and a brother with a chainsaw and they both know how to use it. That's probably There you go. Plan. Hey, well, you know, that goes back to our emergency fund discussion. You just never know, man. I know. It's totally true. <laughs> it's totally true. That's why it's there for. I mean, right. Like, wow. you know, insurance, I actually could see if insurance would help pay for it. But if not. Honestly, it probably would. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's a act of God, I guess, potentially right. what they call it. Right. But yeah. At least it wouldn't your, right? Your house, right, or whatever you said it was your neighbor's. Yeah, it was the neighbor's yeah. house exactly. So, so it's like his his damage is going to be covered by, by insurance. I'm sure if he wants to put the claim in. Sure. I would just think, you know, would an insurance company rather pay out a hundred thousand dollar claim on a destroyed house or help me pay two grand to get a tree surgeon in here and bring the thing down? I I'll be know. honest. That's one thing I'm not an expert on. Is, yeah. uh, is insurance. Same. So. Same. That I, yeah, I saw your eyes. I was like, holy crap, something's going on. I don't know if I'm about to witness murder or, or what, but. Uh, oh, it's my bad poker face. <laughs> um, yeah, don't, don't play poker, man. <laughs> it's not, you don't have the poker face. 